welcome to Listen to the Words. I'm Evelyn Price, and my co-host is Mr. Steve. Hello there. And it's episode two, as I said. Did I say that? I don't know. We're, we're getting into it. Tonight we're going to be talking about Song 2 by Blur, Woke Up This Morning by Alabama 3, and Hey Ya by Outkast. Songs that couldn't be more different than each other. But we're going to start with Blur. So let me bring up my notes on Song 2. Song 2. Song 2, the song that many of you may know as the Woohoo song. Actually, most of you probably know it as the Woohoo song. Um, It was actually, it's called Song 2 because they never bothered to rename the demo tape. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which is, basically says a lot about what this song is. Mm -hmm. So everyone thinks it's just this hard rockin' song. And I think it's come to be known as like... This sport event song. Or those of us of a certain age will remember it as the song from the previews and trailers for Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers. It's afraid. It's afraid! (laughs) It's killing bugs and (laughs) woohoo! And I think that... I think the I think one of the Pittsburgh teams used it too. I'm gonna get called out for this because I don't know what team, but that's there are gaps in my knowledge and the gaps are sports. I think it was the Penguins. I don't know. Someone used it, but Song Two has been all over the place since its inception, really, which um, is 20 years ago. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, oh. Sorry about that. Um. It is, when you think about the structure of Song 2, it's that very, like, loud, quiet, loud thing. So, yeah. of course, what does that bring to mind on this side of the pond in America? It's like punk rock. I know where you're going with this, yeah. but I just want to answer, in this case, annoying. <laughs> in, in this particular case. In this particular case, case to my sensibilities. <laughs> I, those of you who are fans, I, I mean no personal disrespect. It is merely my opinion. That it's an annoying, annoying song. Well, I should interject there that I deliberately didn't have a glass of wine or any other alcohol before recording song two because it could easily veer off into just slagging on Burr, Blur, like being the person who slagging had... on Burr's the the Hamilton yes. podcast. <laughs> wait for it, wait for I, I, I am that bitch that had a Oasis poster on her 1997 dorm room wall. And I wrote a book about pulp. So yeah, it could just become slagging on birth. So I'm going to pull it back right now and blur. say blur. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, what I was trying to get at when I was asking you the question about what else does that sound like? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm trying to get I know, to say. I know, I know, but so I'm not going to say it. it. I'm not going to say it. Heavy metal. Heavy metal is actually in the lyrics of song two. But it is. That's, he says, I feel heavy metal. So I figured it was heavy metal. I thought I thought you were lobbing, lobbing the wiffle ball and I was going to... say what I'm guiding you towards. Crack it. Rock music. No. No, <laughs> that, that's not it. It's grunge. Folks. Specifically grunge. It's specifically grunge. Song 2 is a song that is entirely constructed to make fun of American grunge. And it's because all of the Britpop guys really had 
a stick up their ass about British music and they really, really didn't like grunge. It was like a personal offense to the Britpop sensibility. Um, Why did they object so strongly? I don't know. Because they like to be contrary? I don't know. Because we're the colonies. <laughs> we'll, we'll never get away from being the colonies. Um, I, I, I have so much to say and all of it is scattered about this, but... Um, some people say that it's a parody of just radio hits in general, but I think that if you listen to it and then listen to Smells Like Teen Spirit after it, it is very clearly what it's sort of supposed to be going for. But anyway, it's catchy. It doesn't matter. What's the year on song two? Um, let's see. I actually don't know. You said 30 years ago, I think. It was 20 years ago in 2017. Okay. So... Let's, I don't have to read you guys woohoo, right? Everyone knows that it starts off with a woohoo and it keeps going with a woohoo, and that's mm. all that anyone remembers. Right. <laughs> I remember heavy metal and jumbo jet, I think. Yes, and I don't think most people know that jumbo jet part, which is verse one. I got my head checked by a jumbo jet. It wasn't easy, but nothing is. Right. So, do so, you have a theory? I have no theories. And that's because I know that there's no explanation. Okay. Uh, Damon Albarn just said gibberish. And they kept it. Okay. <laughs> so, the familiar woohoo kicks in. And... After, when he starts saying words, and we'll use words in heavy quotations, it's when I feel heavy metal, and I'm pins and I'm needles. This one, I think, this next one, you can tell he says, well, I lie and I'm easy. All of the time, but I'm never sure why I need you. Pleased to meet you. There's a lot of that. I have never had any idea what he said until this very moment in time. And I can't say that it illuminates it much further for me. It's, it's never going to make sense. Uh, and I think the frustrating thing about song two is even after you read what the words actually are, it approaches a feeling of sense. Like there could be something poetic in there or something that meaningful, but... There's not, it's just a lot of words strung together. Yeah. And the music is what propels that song. Clearly. Or it's kind of one of those songs that's so in jokey with himself Ooh. that other people looking on it will be as as confused as I am at this moment. <laughs> and I mean, I, I, my personal judgment in the end on song two is that Blur ended up proving themselves wrong. Because what's good about song two is the music, and they were trying to parody, parody grunge. So what they ended up doing was just being like, hey, grunge is awesome. This is like Blur's biggest hit. Right. Right, and it also brings up like this whole idea of recording an entire song as a satire. Not as a parody, not as like a, a eat it. <laughs> kind of weird out Yankovic sort of thing. More in line what, with what... We should do some 
and Weird Al. When Weird Al would do the what he would call the stylistic or genre parodies, things like uh, This Is the Life, which is like Cole Porter kind of, or Doggy Dog, which is Talking Heads. Mm. Uh, yeah, this is but this is but this is yeah, this is recording something in their version of the trappings of grunge that is meant to be a joke and a commentary on it, but then is embraced as the very thing it's masquerading as. <laughs> yes, exactly. So there aren't a lot of lyrics left, and I'll just I'll I'll kick out these last ones in case you were wondering what verse two was. I of course I am. <laughs> I got my head down when I was young. It's not my problem. It's not my problem. Okay. That's extremely profound. Yeah. I well, I mean, you know, he has his head down when he's young. <laughs> Introverted or beaten down by the by the fucking class system. <laughs> that you knew that like jumbo jet by a jumbo jet was the most shocking thing when i finally read over the lyrics to me because i was like jumbo jet to me it sounded like something it sounded like a made-up word it sounded like jimoji or something like that like it doesn't sound like jumbo jet yeah like and what's i never knew if it was i got my head shaved by a jumbo jet or my head checked by <laughs> i got my head shaved well is evocative that is extreme you know evocative. and in that weird ll cool j ladder kind of way like his hat is like a shark's fin you know he got his head shaved by a john bojack and um, i'm wondering if you'll indulge me for a moment because this doesn't really have a whole lot to do with song two okay. but um i am a pulp super fan and i said i was going to not talk too much about Britpop. um but so let's see what's what's the shortest way to sort of describe the drip pop wars so this does have to do with blur um in my heart it has more to do with pop. the brit pop wars were oasis and blur basically going after each other to see who could top the charts mm -hmm. and i'm looking at you like i'm explaining this to you but you know all of it yeah but i like um, i like to, it's comforting it's comforting to hear it again <laughs> I think that's all the background you need. So the Britpop Wars was Oasis versus Blur. That was what it was well known as. But they were not the only Britpop bands. And the the I think the winners of the Britpop Wars were Pulp. So I'd be remiss if I left out this amazing quote from Blur's Alex James, who is the bassist, a fellow of the Royal Society of the Arts and also an award-winning cheesemaker. I have seen his his cheese facilities with Gordon Ramsay. They are impressive. It mm. is very not in person. Strange. Not in person. I'm not like name dropping or anything. I watched <laughs> that would it on. Be amazing I watched it on Hulu. Fuck up! Fuck up! Fuck up! Fuck up! <laughs> not a sponsor. <laughs> so here's Alex James with proof that Pulp won the Britpop Wars. Now, I wish I had a British accent because it, this would be better, but it's it's just going to be my American accent reading the, these amazing words. We felt a common cause with Pulp at first. We really supported them, but in a lot of ways, they were even bigger cunts than Oasis. They were in our birds' knickers, devious little fuckers. We definitely tried to help them. We thought they were cool, but they never had a kind word for us. 
Steve Mackey was shagging my bird, the cunt, that's all they wanted to do. I mean, cheers. I thought they had a bigger agenda than shagging our birds. I was a bit disappointed. I kind of object to them more than Oasis, actually. At least Oasis said, we're going to shag your bird. There was something a bit snidey about Pulp, and they still took the support slots. Fuck you, Blur. <laughs> so that's song wow. two by wow. Blur. <laughs> and in a, a side note to all of this Britpop stuff, that's another reason Alabama 3 called themselves Alabama 3 was to avoid the nationalistic trappings of quote-unquote Britpop. No way, that's amazing. So there we are. It all comes together. It, it's all woven together like a beautiful universal blanket. So let's talk about Alabama 3. Okay. Love it. All right, so everybody's been making a big fuss this year because we're on the, uh, what, 20th anniversary of The Sopranos? I think it's the 20th, yeah. Right, and uh, The Sopranos, uh, everybody knows, more than likely, big HBO show about a family of gangsters masquerading as waste management. (laughs) And uh, uh, one of the most prominent things about The Sopranos that everybody thinks about is the opening title song. Mm-hmm. which uh, is by the Alabama Three, one of my favorite bands, uh, and purveyors of what they call sweet, pretty country acid house music. <laughs> Some people might know them as A3. They're known as A3 in the United States because there was a legal dispute with the terrible country band Alabama, who you may know <laughs> from such hits as Mountain Music. And- oh, play me. And all the gold in California. All the gold. Or who you may not know at all. But if you grew up in the 80s at all, and I grew up in a rural area, and regular Alabama cassettes were a fixture in my father's pickup truck for the (laughs) longest time. Uh, Along with what we'll get into a little bit with Alabama 3. Uh, along with uh, some country gospel music. Alabama 3 was founded in 1995 by uh, Rob Sprague and Jake Black. Uh, Rob Sprague was from Brixton, and uh, Jake Black is a Glaswegian, (laughs) Glasgow, Scotland. And uh, you would never know, they perform uh, under, they created personas for themselves and for everyone in the band. So most people probably think that these guys are American, especially if the only thing that you've heard is that soprano song. Yeah, you can hear especially Rob's Brixton accent leak through periodically, but uh, Jake Black's southern accent is the probably the best American accent I've ever heard anyone European it's ever do. Pretty, it's better than like most actors. Yeah, it, it's it's better than Christian Bale. Christian Bale's American <laughs> I'm not wearing hockey pants. I'm Bruce Wayne. I just bought the place. So it, it, it's impeccable. And uh, Rob Sprague uh, was in university. He was studying, he was studying law. And uh, he saw Jake Black singing a Hank Williams song. And uh, they they had this idea to come up with this fusion of country gospel. Rob Sprague was also the son of a preacher, a um, Mormon preacher. Son of a preacher, man. Son of a preacher, man. 
Uh, and so there's a there's a heavy country gospel influence with uh, Acid House. And so it's like if you took Hank Williams and mated it with Psychic TV, you would sonically have a baby that <laughs> we would bestow the name Alabama 3 upon. But uh, their biggest notoriety obviously came from this theme, the opening music to The Sopranos. Uh, I was in a weird position that a friend of mine gave me the Alabama 3 record before The Sopranos had even come out. Mm-hmm. I, and I heard it and my mind exploded because there were all sorts of references to this gospel music that I was raised on. Uh, basically uh, using things like Jesus on the main line, like 1950s and 60s like country gospel music and just totally turning it on its head with this strange sense of humor this uh these lyrics that that were kind of a parody of country music but also uh cherishing it at the same time it's like when someone lovingly kind of pokes fun at something mm. rather than when they're just being shitty about it and uh it, it it just it totally lit my brain up. So it's like all the rest of their songs are this very um, almost spoken word type Southern Baptist preacher riff stuff. Well, there's uh there's uh, Rob Sprague who in the band goes under the name Larry Love. <laughs> Larry Love. Uh, I suppose now's a good time to fill in the original name of the band was the first Presbyterian Church of Elvis the Divine. Presbyterian? Of Elvis the Divine. Yeah. I don't get Presbyterian, though. Presbyterian. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. God. Which they then changed to Alabama 3. <laughs> Thank God. Which is a reference to a uh, two homicides in the 1930s, uh, the hangings of two black men who were accused of raping white women. Wow, they're a very cheerful band. Well, they are at times. Uh, there's there's a good sense of humor in a large portion of the, the first album. The first album was released in 1997. It's called Exile on Cold Harbor Lane. Is that the one that this song is on? It is, it is. And Exile on Cold Harbor Lane, the title refers to, obviously, the Rolling Stones uh, double album classic, uh, Exile on Main Street, mm. which Liz Fair would also reference when she called her album Exile on in Gaiba. Yeah. Uh, Cold Harbor Lane is a street in Brixton where the drug dealers are. Hey, Brixton, you cheeky bitch. And uh, so they, they were bringing that kind of uh, that element, uh, that CD kind of uh, uh, true crime, like underbelly element to, to their music. So basically between The Clash and Alabama 3, we're just going to go ahead and say don't move to Brixton. Or if you do move to Brixton, stay away from Cold Harbor Lane. <laughs> and uh, so they've had a mixed kind of relationship with the fact that the song was used as the opening of The Sopranos. Uh, well, I mean, they had to have made bank off of it. They... The, the quote from them is, somebody got rich, but it sure as hell wasn't us. Whoa, okay. And uh, they were pretty gracious about it in the beginning. And then as the years, they're still active today. Uh, they've put out, I believe, something like 17 albums. I mean, when you think about it, when The Sopranos first came out, it, there really wasn't anything like prestige TV or what we would call that now. Like, that was like the first really big, like 
show like that, I think. Yeah, HBO had been trying, but all of their original programming was stuff like Fraggle Rock and endless reruns of Arliss. <laughs> for those my of you who remember Arliss. I represent athletes. These are my stories. Wasn't there a dollar sign in the second there, as of Arliss? Yes, there was, and it... Uh, starred i i can't remember the actor's names i don't a, even remember what the show is about i don't know why a, i remember the dollar sign it's and, like uh, the act, kesha i mean i can look this up right now but his first name was robert and he played the reporter knox in tim burton's 1989 batman he was the lead on our list wow but i digress so alabama three pull their name from this uh this homicide they're very i would describe them as an activist band despite the fact that they have an amazing sense of humor when jake black who goes by the reverend d wayne love <laughs> as an alias uh has a lot of the spoken word kind of southern preacher monologues that you were referring to but rob sprague's lead vocals are very reminiscent of like a leonard cohen mm -hmm. um so woke up this morning which now everybody associates with like being a badass and a gangster the boys in the band don't like this very much uh basically uh in their words uh they're they're a band for the common people they're they're not for union busting bullies as it were so they're communists yeah in in a lot of ways but uh alabama three's in the dsa dsuk i guess <laughs> but uh so the themes of the show and uh, the fact that it depicts this gangsterism and uh, this lifestyle of Tony Soprano is pretty well at odds with uh, what Alabama 3 is about. Like the Sopranos would also use a, uh, a song called Mansion on the Hill. How long you gotta wait until you get the keys to the mansion on the hill? So oh, they used line. another Alabama Three song. Yeah, D Wayne comes in with a spoken line. It says, "But with the way the Sopranos is, it kind of twists the meaning of that line. Like D Wayne means it in terms of uh, if you are just a victim, if you're if you're just accepting of uh, the the oppression or or the violence that's inflicted upon you." You, if you're just waiting for your reward, you're not going to find it. Mm -hmm. Whereas The Sopranos always has that mobster movie mentality of might makes right, like physical force, right. brute, dumb force. I guess I'll have to take care of that rabbit myself. And uh, as you can tell, I'm not particularly a fan of The Sopranos. Uh, I, I stuck don't like around, it either. I stuck around for about three seasons. And then once it got to the point where all of Tony's family, like his mother and his uncle, were plotting against them, I was like, I'm out. Like, Is there even one woman who's done right on The Sopranos? Who's no. done right? No. No, not that I can, I can remember. Uh, but uh, what's so strange about Woke Up This Morning being the pick for the opening theme song is that it is a song that was inspired by domestic abuse. Oh, wow. Yeah, so especially when you consider The Sopranos as the show that it is the theme to, is it's a stark juxtaposition. So, I don't want to blow the reveal, but does that are are you are you saying that woke up this morning is like from a female point of view? No, it is not from a female point of view. It is about someone empathizing 
with a female point of view. Okay. Um, what it was inspired by was there was a case about uh, there was a case of a woman named Sarah Thornton, or if you were in England, you would say a woman called Sarah Thornton. <laughs> Uh, and basically what happened was she was sentenced to life imprisonment, uh, because she murdered her husband in 1989. Now her husband, Malcolm Thornton was an ex-police officer. And during the year and a half they were married, uh, she reported five different assault incidents to the police. Allegedly he had threatened on numerous occasions to kill both her and her daughter Cool. Uh, a neighbor testified that he had seen Malcolm knock her out on the front lawn. Oh. And at the time of his death, uh, he was due in court soon for the latest of the assault charges. Ah. So Woke Up This Morning is basically a song against Tony Soprano. Yes. Woke Up This Morning is... They wanted to write a blues song, like a John Lee Hooker kind of style ramble about domestic violence. And in like Rob Sprague's own words, a lot of those blues songs have misogynistic lyrics. Oh, they sure do. So they wanted to take it from an empathetic point of view with a woman who had been abused for a year and a half and threatened for a year and a half and finally snapped. Uh, basically what had happened was Malcolm had come home one night and after they had a, uh, a drunken fight, he was asleep drunk on the couch. She went to the kitchen, uh, sharpened a kitchen knife and stabbed him as he slept. Now, basically she was convicted the prosecution painted her as a pathological liar. Um, years go by, uh, they appeal the case, and basically uh, what she, what they did whenever they retried the case was they, nobody knew too much about like uh, battered woman syndrome or mm. the psychological effects that abuse has on people who suffer it for a sustained period of time. We were talking more than 20 years ago. So, yeah. So, um, basically what they did was they, uh, they said that, uh, the, they were making a case for, for, uh, her altered state of mind and that she had uh, a disassociative disorder, which caused her to snap in that instance. Hmm. She was eventually, uh, in 1996, she was, uh, the charge, the case was retried. Uh, she was charged with manslaughter and she was released from prison for the time she already served. Um, there's, there'd been some hope that, uh, what had happened in her case would lead to the change of domestic violence laws in the UK. Um, and it's still argued to this day about how much of an effect it's had. There's been a few things put in place, but, uh, it didn't have the, uh, the kind of reaction that a lot of the feminists who were bringing attention to the case, uh, while she was in prison were hoping for. Um, so. So are we going to go into the lyrics now? We are going to go into the lyrics with all that in mind. Number one, that is like 
way cooler than the than just using it at the beginning of the Sopranos. Well, I mean, <laughs> like apparently, the backstory is crazy. Apparently, Alabama Three didn't even know that it was being used until they saw it for the first time. So I don't know if that was a record company deal, like selling it out from under them. Oh, so maybe that's why they didn't make any money off of it because that I would I would have been a lot more vocal about it if I were them. But uh, they, like I said, initially they were gracious about it, and they they would they had said that you know you know it's not like we recorded the theme song from Friends. <laughs> but uh, but as time went on, like they got to the point where they were like they were associated with gangsters, were associated with like dim-witted thuggery like it ruined our lives (laughs) and they say that sometimes the tongue-in-cheek sometimes not so much with tongue-in-cheek but uh we'll get into the lyrics of woke of this morning now with the case of sarah thornton fresh in your minds um obviously the biggest change in the song is changing a knife to a gun so anytime you hear uh, someone try to sample this song and put it in a in a rap song or something aggressive, just remember how Sarah the origins Thornton. of the songs <laughs> and Sarah Thornton. So you woke up this morning. Mama always said you'd be the chosen one. She said you're one in a million. You got burned to shine, but you were under a bad sound with a blue moon in your eyes. So sing now. Uh, blue moon symbolically uh, can, are usually uh, harbingers of, of bad luck in a lot of cases. Um, you woke up this morning, all that love had gone. Your papa never told you about right and wrong, but you're looking but good, baby. I believe you're feeling fine. It's a shame about it. Woke up this morning, world turned upside down. Things ain't been the same since the blues walked into town. But you're one in a million, you've got that shotgun shine, shame my body. Born under a bad sign with a blue moon in your eyes. It's crazy to me that this song is actually about a female. But when everyone thinks of it, what they're thinking of is James Gandolfini. Uh, Thank you. Like, that's the face that they're seeing in their heads when that's not at all what what the song was written about which again i don't know what it was about james gandolfini he was a terrific actor thank you very much but like i first noticed him uh in true romance where his big scene is beating the hell out of patricia arquette yeah i think it's just because he's a big big guy you know so like they just always cast him as like the bruiser yeah so uh, when you woke up this morning and everything was gone, by half past ten your head was going ding-dong, ringing like a bell from your head down to your toes like some voice trying to tell you there's something you should know. Last night you were flying, but today you're so low. Ain't it times like these that make you wonder if you'll ever know the meaning of things as they appear to the others, wives, husbands, mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers? Don't you wish you didn't function? Don't you wish you didn't think beyond the next paycheck and the next little drink? Wow. So, yeah. We're in super heavy territory. Yeah, I was just going to say that's really depressing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you do so make up your mind to go on, because when you woke up this morning, everything you had was gone. So, the song is literally about being pushed to the point where you're going to kill someone uh, out of 
self-preservation right you know it's it's about trying to get into the mindset of being trapped in a cycle of violence to the point where you erupt in violence it's definitely not about killing someone for money right it's not about killing someone for money it's not about killing someone for pride it's not about killing someone for petty reasons it's not about any of this uh any anything that the sopranos and i understand this that some would argue there's more nuance in the sopranos than i'm giving it but um i i find that the the song is basically a sharp rebuke of what the sopranos mm. portrays it's and, like entirely uh, antithetical to to what the sopranos portrays yeah. and i find it incredibly interesting that not only did David Chase select that song to open The Sopranos, but used other A3 songs, used the songs of uh, quasi-Marxist <laughs> activists, politically conscious group. I mean, we're talking about a group that has songs called Vietnamistan and things like that. So he must be an A3 fan, I would think. Yeah, yeah I mean, obviously... He would be. And, you know, other high-profile Alabama 3 fans include, like, Stephen King. I don't want to be buried. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's there's uh, some footage of Stephen King jamming with the Alabama 3. Uh, <laughs> to bring it back to London Calling, Mick Jones has joined them on stage. Well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, but that is the the true story behind Alabama 3's Woke Up This Morning, or A3, depending on if you're in the States and have to try to find it on Apple Music. Um, <laughs> or you can go to our Spotify at least to hear that song and then just look them up from there. But I can't recommend uh, I can't recommend the debut record, Exile in Cold Harbor Lane, enough, especially if you have an interest in mid-90s techno or uh, uh, an affinity for for country music and how it can be twisted into a new art form uh they have said before that if it wasn't for the sopranos they'd probably be one of the biggest pop bands on the planet and i don't know if i'd go that far because the mashup of acid house and country <laughs> i think it's a lot isn't for everyone <laughs> it's, it's <a> lot. <laughs> but it's certainly for me and uh you know, I, I'm happy to be able to to talk about the song and to evangelize people. to evangelize for the for the sweet, pretty country <laughs> acid house music, I I would as a ordained minister myself <laughs> via the Universal Life Church, I I would like to consider myself a, a member of Larry and Dwayne's congregation of the First Presbyterian Church of Ellis the Divine. <laughs> then I'd, I'd say you definitely are. <laughs> and with that said, we're going to be taking a little break. Have you ever wanted a guidebook for the Pittsburgh underground? Well, give a listen to Getting Filthy with Sawtooth Willie. Learn about the best hot sauce for eating pigeons, what to do with an abandoned mansion, and why you should never play poker with a cat. You can get Getting Filthy with Sawtooth Willie where fine podcasts are sold. I think that most people alive will know Hey Ya, because it's still played on radio all the time. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> but it was 
first released in 2003, which uh, now it's about to get a little um, murky in here because that was also the first year that iTunes existed. Yeah. I know, I know. It's okay. Just breathe through it. Uh, Just breathe through it. I can feel my back go out <laughs> as you say that. So that also means that it was the first platinum download. Hey, oh. it was the most downloaded song because it was also the first year of iTunes existence, but it was the first thing to go platinum by basically streaming numbers because oh. it was on iTunes. Well, not streaming numbers because it was still downloads at that point. Yeah. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> and But how did it do on LimeWire? <laughs> how, how many people downloaded it illegally from Napster? And, and miscredited it to a different <laughs> artist. This is Heya by the Black Eyed Peas. We the B to the E to the P. This is Heya's. <laughs> so, Heya, I I think is a great song, and it may just be because I have memories from 2003 of dancing crazily to it. Um, we really don't know what it's about because I think that well, I mean, we as a people don't know what it's about because as, as, as humans yes like because we like people played at weddings right and they're like this is the, the song that everybody dances to and it's super I know super it's cool. about three minutes too long uh, yeah. we gotta you just put put how much you hate the song aside for a second <laughs> just so we can get through it i can't I, can i just say the reason i hate hey uh in addition to the the intentionally abrasive nature of the vocal is that musically to me it sounds like a casio keyboard set on a demo setting that is because it's in crazy time it's an 11 4 time and i think that's what it is i'm pretty sure that that's what it is and then there's like a part where it splits to two four i think but it's it's in a crazy beat which is why it sounds all strange so i think i think that your head is just like this doesn't make any sense and that's why you have a bad reaction to it but that's also why people dance to it because it's like a very like herky-jerky sort of beat um operative word being jerky oh dear (laughs) so anyway let's talk about how it's brilliant because it is let's do it (laughs) um andre 3000 plays all of those instruments okay every single instrument on that except for the bass which is played from uh which is played by aaron mills from cameo I like so, cameo. So word up to that. Uh, he's also all of the male vocals. So every single lyric, everything that you hear on that is all Andre 3000. He bas- the, the song is all him. All yeah. instruments, all him. Except because that's for- a lot how, of how Outkast recorded those. Right. That double so like album. Big Boy does his stuff and Andre 3000 yeah. does his stuff. But the the only thing in Hey Ya that is not Andre 2000's is the part where he asks for the ladies. And that is actually one lady that is just recorded a bunch of times. Yeah, it's all stacked. That's not a f- comment on her physical attributes. I mean, the vocal She probably is stacked. was stacked, though. And over the length of Hey Ya, Andre 2000's voice has a range of more than an octave and a half. When you listen to it all the way through. Okay. It's crazy to me. I know none of this is, none of this is going to sway you. You're still not going to like the song. Well, and I mean, an octave and a half. That's for me, you know, it's, it's an octave and a half. It's not like, you know, Marcella Detroit's like <laughs> five octaves. Not impressed. Whatever. Not impressed. 
All right. That's right. I dropped the Shakespeare sister bomb <laughs> in the middle of your outcast segment. Any, anyway, 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 we, I'm sorry. Let's just start talking about what it's about. Hey, yes. Hey, yes. Is about, uh, it's, it's an anti-love song. So when people are dancing to it at weddings. Well, then my reaction is correct. Yes. If it is the, promoting anti-love, then it is promoting hate and anger. And, <laughs> and that is what sparks it, in me. It's not, it's basically, the song is... Escreed against monogamy, basically. The the song is is saying to us basically that mono- monogamy is impossible. Okay. So when people dance to it at weddings, they are dancing to a song that is completely not what is happening at that event. Um let's ironic. See. Ironic. Let I I have a little quote from Andre 3000 to tell us what it's about as we sag into the lyrics. And he says, Heya is pretty much about the state of relationships in the 2000s. It's about some people who stay together in relationships because of tradition, because somebody told them, you guys are supposed to stay together, but you pretty much end up being unhappy for the rest of your life. So that's Andre 3000's opinion about himself i i think that we can we can say do we have a rough age for andre 3000 when he was not not at when the he time was making these statements? i did not look that up just, it sounds like a very young man thing i don't yeah i don't know <laughs> it seems like I, that to I me i think monogamy is outmoded because i like meeting ladies i mean <laughs> so basically like hey uh, is an ode to i don't want to marry erica badu which is you know i get that i love erica badu but i don't think i would want to be married to her either and she definitely wouldn't want to be married to me so one two three uh, is how hey uh, starts so begins my baby don't mess around because she loves me so and this i know for sure but does she really wanna so now when he says but does she really wanna he's referring to mess around so, but does she really want to, we can put mess around in parentheses after that, mm-hmm. but can't see, stand to see me walk out the door. Don't try to fight the feeling because the thought alone is killing me right now. Thank God for mom and dad for sticking two together because we don't know how. So now that you can think about it in the context of it not being about someone in love so he's like saying she doesn't mess around even though she might want to mess around because she doesn't want to lose him so so she she doesn't mess around out of fear of breaking their relationship right and i think he's sort of implying that he feels that same way but again this is from audrey 3000's point of view so he actually whoever he has in mind when he's writing this song he doesn't know what it's in her mind He knows what's in Andre 3000's mind, which is, you think you got it. Oh, you think you've got it, which I'm pretty sure we're talking about relationships here. But got it, just don't get it till there's nothing at all. So I get... Got it ain't good enough and it obliterates whatever's there. Exactly. Yeah. Separate's always better when there's feelings involved. If what they say is nothing is forever... Then what makes love the exception? 
which I think is pretty clear. And people just don't hear that when, when they're dancing. Well, again, like, like Meatloaf and Steinman in our last episode, there's a lot of words coming at you really quickly. Right, right. So why, why are we so in denial when we know we're not happy here? And then he says the crux of what happened to Heya, actually, is, is right at the end of the second verse, is Y'all don't want to hear me, you just want to dance. Y'all don't want to hear me, you just want to dance. Which was kind of prophetic, actually. Very apt. And so we go through the wanting to meet your daddy. Want you and my caddy. We don't meet your mama. Just want to make you come up. Which oh, is hilarious because as I was going through and listening to it, I didn't realize how many times they beep that. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll cut it out on the radio and then sometimes they'll even, like, zip it out on videos in, like, news reports and things like that. And I'm like, that's not even an actual word. Like, it's not the way he says it. Like, no, and nobody would be able to tell what it was anyway. But that's what it is. He doesn't want to meet your mom. He just wants to make you come. So, and then then he says... A man who knows what he wants. (laughs) Then he gives you, like, the best fuckboy line, which is... I'm just being honest. Just being honest. Which he says twice. I'm just being honest. Yes. Which is something that, like, assholes say to justify being mean. Like, man, I'm just being honest. Just being honest. Just being real. I'm just real. Okay. So, then he tells everybody that they need to dance and basically the rest of the song is him telling everyone that they they need to dance and it's time to dance and that's why everyone dances to it but the refrain of shaking it like a polaroid picture is an absolute and complete lie because you are not supposed to shake polaroid pictures that's true that is true that is the lesson of hey uh i have learned the lesson of hey yeah and I have rejected it, but I welcome you <laughs> to follow your own path and go where Heya may take you. There are also a ton of covers of Heya, so when I was looking through stuff. Heya. I I saw all the covers and then a lot of them were like vomit ukulele cover or because uh, like, yeah, there are a lot of those. Heya. Um, some of them aren't that bad, but I just want to give a warning to everyone that I ran into an article that was like, listen to Panic at the Disco's cover of Hey Ya. And just don't. Just putting it out there. Just don't. Um, also, I, don't. Everybody just stop with the ukulele covers. Just, and I'm, I want to be clear. I, lo- I love Panic at the Disco. I just don't do. like this cover. It's an offense to Outcast and humanity. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about that on that. All right. Hey, yeah. Uh. <laughs> hey, yeah. <laughs> Thanks again for spending some time with us. We'd love to hear from you on Twitter at LTTWPod or our Gmail account at LTTWPod at gmail.com. There's a link for our Spotify on our Twitter where you can find episode songs and other playlists. You can listen at lttwcast.com and visit our Patreon to support us at patreon.com lttw. We'll be adding levels where you can vote on songs and other cool stuff soon. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
This podcast is a presentation of Coffee Finch Studios, LLC, all rights reserved. And that's about that on that.